Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Maya. And I'm Abby. Happy New Year, everyone. Yes, a happy new year to all our listeners and hope this year is treating you well so far. Welcome back to Appearance Matters, the podcast for 2023, where we will be bringing you more interesting episodes related to the world of appearance and body image research. We'll be joined by lots of fantastic guests as well. We're really looking forward to what this year will bring to the podcast. A big thanks also to everyone who listened, shared and subscribed to the podcast last year. We really appreciate your support. Yes. So kicking off 2023... Our episode this month will be focused on the experiences of children and young people living with eczema. So eczema is a skin condition which causes the skin to become itchy, dry, cracked or sore. Some people may experience eczema in small patches, but others might get more widespread inflamed skin all over the body. Eczema tends to be more common in children, but can also develop for the first time in adulthood. That's right. So our guests today are going to tell us more about eczema and the psychosocial impact that this condition can have on daily life. We've got a great lineup of guests today. So firstly, we have a familiar voice on the podcast, Dr. Ella Guest, who is a research fellow here at CAR. We'll also be joined by Christine Roxburgh from Eczema Outreach Support, who has been working with Ella on developing support for families of children with eczema. Eczema Outreach Support is a charity focused on supporting children and young people with eczema. And Christine will be sharing a bit more about their work in the episode. Finally, we'll be speaking to Dr. Daniela Gio from the University of Manchester, who has conducted qualitative research with adolescents and young adults about their experiences of living with eczema. Wow, that's such a lineup. I'm really looking forward to hearing about this work. So let's hear what our guests have to say. So welcome everyone to Appearance Matters, the podcast. It's really lovely to have you all here and I'm really looking forward to hearing um, all about your work. So just to get us started off, some people might be familiar with eczema, they might have it themselves or they might know someone who has it. So to get us started, Christine, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about what eczema is, uh, who it might affect and what might be the day-to-day impact with living with eczema. Yeah, sure. So hi, everyone. I'm Christine Roxburgh and I'm the chief exec of a charity called Eczema Outreach Support. And we support um, children, young people and families across the UK who um, are struggling with eczema. So as you say, Maya, I mean, eczema is a, is a really common condition. So probably lots of people, you know, maybe kind of think they, they know what it is or, or they're kind of at least familiar with the name. As many as kind of one in five children um, develop eczema and then it reduces down to about one in 10 by the time, um, you know, adulthood comes along. So some children are l- lucky enough to maybe not necessarily grow out of it, but um, it's certainly, you know, the skin might still be a l- little bit dry in adulthood, but they might not have flares of eczema. The, the problem with it is it's such a complex condition and there's no one reason for it for it developing in, in you know, with someone. So, you know, it can run in families and quite often it, it sits alongside other atopic conditions such as asthma, hay fever, allergies. And quite often um, people that have eczema, their skin barrier, so the top layer of their skin maybe just doesn't work as well. Um, And quite often there's a lot of different things that trigger the eczema. So cause it to flare up, cause the skin to go red and be very itchy. And that can be simple things like the kind of soap that someone would use. Maybe in the summer, pollen that's in the air can cause it. They come into contact with a a dog or a cat even and they're allergic to that animal, then it can all cause a flare in eczema. So there's lots of different things that cause flares and it can be very different for 
for different people. So that makes it quite a difficult mm. condition to treat. Um, the symptoms I've kind of touched on, it causes really itchy skin. You know, it can really drive people mad, the itchiness. And, um, you know, it just feels like the skin is constantly itchy if it's if it's flared. Um, it causes a lot of scratching, obviously, because the skin is itchy. It can, in, you know, lighter skin tones, um, the skin can be very red and dry. And in darker skin tones, the, the bits of flared skin tend to be darker brown, purple, or even a kind of ash grey in colour. So it presents differently depending on the skin tone of the person. Um, you know, it's, it's not there all the time. Um, so it can be very frustrating if you think it's, it's gone away and you've managed to get it under control and then out of the blue, it flares back up again. So it can cause a lot of frustration and even anger for, um, you know, people that are trying to manage it on a day-to-day -day basis. It can have a really big impact um, on someone's life. Obviously, for some people that maybe just have small patches of eczema and quite often it'll appear in the inside um, elbows um, or behind the knees are quite common places. If It could just be a bit of a minor irritation for people, but for others where it's much more widespread, it's maybe on the face, um, you know, very, you know, very apparent, very visual, then it can really have such a big impact. It can affect, um, you know, children and young people's mental health. It can really affect their self-confidence and how much they, they want to see friends. They might become a bit isolated um, and not want to go out and be as social as they, they maybe once were. It can really impact someone's sleep. Um, so for a child, that means it can have a big impact on its school because the child is maybe not as able to concentrate in the class. Um, as as they would you know normally, so it can really affect lots of aspects of a, a person's life that has eczema. I suppose just to point out, there's no cure. There are treatments that try to manage it, but at the moment there's no cure for eczema. So it is just trying to find a treatment and something that that really improves it and makes things better. And also the other thing to point out is it's not contagious. You can't catch it, and some people still sometimes think that it is. Thank you, Christine. That's such a, a great introduction for us. And it, I think it just really highlights to me how complicated a condition it can be with all these different um, triggers of flare ups and, and um, kind of it presenting differently on different people. I think it's really important, obviously, what you mentioned about skin colour, looking different on different skin colours um, and how, you know, it's obviously there's not a cure for it. So it's all about kind of treatment management, which I guess can be quite challenging as well, particularly with a child. Um, so that was really great. Thank you for kind of giving that introduction for us. If it's okay if I come to you now, um, could you tell us a little bit about what kind of psychosocial experiences and challenges there might be for someone living with eczema? Hi, yeah, of course. So I'm Ella and I'm a research fellow at the Centre for Appearance Research. Um, yeah, so Christine's just given a really big overview of eczema and actually has touched upon some of the sort of psychosocial concerns a little bit. But I guess listeners, listeners of this podcast will know that um, any condition that affects your appearance can have a big impact on your psychological and social well-being. So unfortunately, particularly in childhood, looking a bit different might attract things like unwanted attention or questions, um, sometimes bullying and teasing. And as Christine mentioned, unfortunately, there are these misconceptions about skin conditions like eczema that they might be contagious or that they might be something, something else like um, people are often mistaken for having things like leprosy. So obviously that can be really challenging if you're experiencing these negative comments and it can make it really difficult to engage socially, to 
have friends um, and also to do things like take part in activities where your skin might be more visible. So, um, for example, feeling like you need to cover up your eczema, say if it's on your arms or your legs, so that might make things like swimming or PE or that kind of thing really tricky. Um, we recently ran a webinar with um, the members of EOS, which was uh, really interesting. And we asked them questions about how eczema impacted their children's lives. And sleep was a massive one. So, you know, it's, you know, itchiness, um, soreness, the skin weeping, um, feeling quite hot, that kind of thing really impacted their child's sleep. Um, but they also discussed the impact that it can have on their mood. So having a low mood, and we know in some cases um, that health conditions and also conditions that affect appearance can lead to things like anxiety and depression, um, give people a lack of confidence. And this obviously can have an impact at home, but also at school and other places. And I think um, a big thing that came up as well at the webinar was children feeling really anxious and embarrassed about their skin. Um, and that sort of having a big impact on their engagement more generally. So obviously the psychological impact is, is quite broad. Um, and I think as well, if we look more from a sort of health psychology perspective, eczema, as Christina said, is a condition that is long term. It, it, there isn't a cure for it. It's something that's managed. It can be quite unpredictable. It can flare up due to stress um, and also triggers that can be really difficult for people to avoid. So it can just be incredibly sort of stressful and frustrating um, for families, for children and their, and their parents, um, trying to get on top of eczema and finding that things aren't working or um, having to keep dealing with cycles of flare-ups. Um, and I think also the fact that eczema really impacts you very broadly physically, but also in terms of the psychological and social side. But often it's treated really medically. Um, so if you go to a GP, they'll be interested in your physical symptoms, but actually you might need some help managing the other aspects of that or coping with the burden of treatment as well. Um, and those things are really important to look at, but they're not always. And again, as with some other conditions, I think children often find that um, health professionals might tell them, oh, well, you'll probably grow out of it, which will make, you know, so don't worry if you feel really bad now and you're embarrassed and you'll have low self-confidence, you'll probably grow out of it. So, you know, you'll get over that. But actually, if it's having a really big impact on your life now, then that's really important to address and can have a huge, can sort of hugely impact lots of aspects of, of your life. Yeah, there's just there's loads there, Ella. Thank you so much. So there's kind of like what you're saying around maybe the stigma of appearance of it. If if children are thinking that it's contagious or what you were saying around um, the unpredictability and the stress of that, I can imagine that's really um, unsettling, not kind of not knowing when the symptoms might flare up and when your appearance might change. Um, I imagine that's quite destabilizing, particularly for a child who's just kind of getting used to the world around them. Um, I imagine that can be really challenging. And then also kind of what you just said there about the more medical model treatment and sometimes health professionals seeming a little bit dismissive. I manage that's very, very challenging. So it's kind of this eczema, it seems to have lots of layers to kind of the psychosocial experiences to it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you to Christine and to Ella. So we're going to move on to talking about some of the research that's been going on uh, in the experiences of living with eczema now. So Danny, you've um, done some recent research with adolescents and young adults with eczema. Can you tell us a little bit about your work in this area and what you might have found in your research? 
Yeah, so I am Daniela Gio. I am a lecturer in psychology at the University of Manchester, um, but I was previously a research fellow at the University of Southampton where all this sort of research was being done. My work um, with eczema was actually part of a much bigger study that aims to help parents, children and young people uh, to get control and then keep control of their eczema. And this was a project that was funded by the National Institute for Health and Care Research. And uh, at the beginning of this work, one of my colleagues looked into all the research that has been published and trying to understand what it's like living with eczema. And one of the key findings actually was that, um, well, there was a great summary of, of what, what it's like, and that's been summarized quite well now in this um, by Christine and Ella, but also that there was barely any work looking into the experiences of living with eczema for adolescents and young adults. And so we knew that we needed more work to be done in this area because sometimes, especially um, because eczema is perceived as a childhood condition and studies have you know, have shown that symptoms can continue in adolescence. Um, and then there's work that's done with adults with eczema, but there's this gap in where a lot of transition is happening, um, but we don't really know what it's like for those uh, who are taking on more responsibilities in managing eczema and what their experiences are like. We worked with um, health Talk, which is a project where people were sharing their experiences of having a health condition. And uh, it, one of the series was actually with young people with eczema. And so we looked over those, um, what pe young people were saying, and we talked to some young people ourselves so we can capture what has happened for this age group and what information would be needed if we were going to be putting together resources to help support young people in management. And as was said before, sometimes, you know, eczema is perceived as a childhood condition and messaging around this um, sometimes means that adolescents who are still experiencing symptoms related to eczema have to almost relearn and readjust how they're managing their eczema and adjust to this realization that eczema is something that needs to be managed, you know, through getting control and keeping control of the symptoms. And um, sometimes these symptoms can be painful and hard to live with. Um, which actually makes it quite hard for people to, uh, who don't have eczema to understand. And actually, because sometimes eczema is so common, people have misconceptions that they know what it is. So people's symptoms kind of get dismissed and the more severe symptoms get dismissed because of that. But it is more than a skin condition for a lot of people. Um, and it creates this need, especially with the invisible symptoms that have been mentioned, you know, the sleep, the, the stress and how to man how stress triggers it. It can be quite painful at times, especially when, you know, as Christine was saying about the weeping sk uh, skin and when uh, during a flare, it can be really, really painful. And young people described it as almost that it's like being on fire. Um, so imagine having to live with that on a daily basis. Um, but also this is battling with trying to be perceived as an adolescent like everyone else. So it's in direct conflict with trying to hide those visible symptoms. So you have these invisible symptoms and visible symptoms at battle with each other in a way. Um, and because of that, it also creates that need for emotional support in trying to deal with both these invisible and visible symptoms. And these needs do seem to change over time. So when young people meet others with shared experiences and those invisible symptoms are being understood, 
the visible symptoms are given less importance in a way. So, um, so there's more the, this acceptance of, of, of these symptoms. But during all of this, um, adolescents and young people are also trying to juggle treatments and trying to find ways of overcoming barriers to eczema self-management because it is a complex condition, but it also means then the treatments can be quite complex too and quite individual. And um, and so trying to find a routine that works for them, identifying through trial and error what their irritants and triggers are, um, trying to address concerns and doubts about treatments and where to find that information. And there seems to be a lack of information out there for young people. Um, and also then how to incorporate the, all this in everyday life. Um, so we found that there was a need for this kind of information and also showed how important communicating key messages um, where from healthcare providers. Thank you so much, Danny. That was so fascinating to hear you kind of talk through the really in-depth experiences of these young people. And it, I think it just really kind of emphasizes what Christine and Ella have been saying and that it is such a complicated condition. And because maybe some people have heard about it or maybe know a few people who have it, that they think that um, maybe it's quite straightforward, but actually, no, it can be really severe and have a huge impact on people's um, psychosocial well-being. So you were saying that um, that the support is something that's really important and communication in particular. Uh, can you maybe tell us about any other implications from this research and maybe what's next? Yes. So, so one of the key things was putting those that information out there, and um, and especially because because there was such lack of research for, for this age group um, to make sure that we we have those publications out. So, uh, so those have been published and we did write up blogs about them to explain what they were. So they're on the um, Eczema Care Online website project, um, but also the papers themselves are open access so everyone can read them and we publish them in different types of journals. So, so for healthcare providers as well as psychology journals to make sure that the audience that we're getting um, are quite are, are bigger. So, so primary care as well as secondary care. And uh, and we put all together into into a website that we were developing as well that's now uh, now available. So I'm happy to talk more about that later. That's fantastic, Danny. And um, if you want to, we can share the links with those papers and any other resources um, in the show notes of this episode so people can access them and have a little bit of read if they're interested in finding out more. That kind of leads us nicely into the uh, kind of next thing that I'd really love to talk about with you all. Um, so Danny started to talk about support and, and how we might develop support for um, individuals with eczema. Christine, I'm going to come back to you if that's okay. And can you say a little bit more about the charity you work for, Eczema Outreach Support, and maybe give us a little bit more background about how the organisation began and how the charity aims to help children and young people with eczema and their families? Yeah, of course. So the charity started, it's probably about 12 years ago now, um, and it was started by a mum who was had a, three daughters and one of them had severe eczema. And although she was, you know, being seen by her GP and dermatology, she just felt there she was missing, you know, support in that she wanted to meet other parents that were going through a similar kind of thing. And she wanted her daughter to meet other children um, who had the, the same condition because she kept on saying, am I the only itchy person? So she decided to kind of set up just a little a little charity really for the benefit of herself you know to try and meet other people 
And it started off as just a, a small grassroots charity in central Scotland and really grew very, very quickly. And um, the, the demand was so great, um, you know, for, for the services that the that the charity was offering. And um, about five years ago, the charity decided to to expand from being something that was just in Scotland to a charity that supported families across the whole of the UK. And that really came about because every week there was families from across the UK trying to join the charity and looking for the support that the charity offered. So it just made sense to actually go UK wide and make sure that the charity could support as many families as possible. So it's been a really big, um, you know, kind of growth in a, in a short period of time. And at the moment, we support about 4,000 families across the UK. And about half of that membership at the moment are based in Scotland, because obviously we kind of started off in Scotland. But the biggest growth area for us is families joining from England. And um, it won't, be, won't take very long before the, the number of families that we're supporting in England is far exceeds, you know, all the, the rest of the, the membership. So the, the charity really started off bringing families together at events so that parents could chat to each other, share tips, share stories, and that the children could have fun together and see other children with eczema and are, who were maybe in bandages and, and having to follow you know, similar kind of treatment regimes. And that really is still underpins what we do today. It is all about, you know, that we talked earlier about the importance of communication. It really is giving families the opportunity to learn from each other and share stories and feel less isolated in their journey with eczema but also to learn from healthcare professionals as well. So at events that we hold now, we will always have a healthcare professional along. Um, and whether that's maybe, well, the fact that the, one of our recent webinars, we had Ella and um, Danny along, which was fantastic. But we also have, um, you know, dermatologists that come along to our events as well and, you know, maybe share, um, you know, best practice of treating eczema or information about new eczema treatments that are coming out. So th the premise is to really kind of inform parents and really help them feel less alone and, and more supported in their journey. We have a team of um, family workers and they're available on the phone um, to chat to anybody um, that's kind of, you know, any families that are struggling with eczema and give kind of personalised, tailored advice um, and support to families. And, and we support some families, you know, for years um, along, you know, different issues that they're having, whether it's, you know, trying to um, support them to get a referral to dermatology through the GP or, you know, maybe talking through treatment options with a family, maybe if, um, you know, new treatments are being suggested and they're not sure, we're just a listening ear and, you know, sounding board um, for families to be able to talk through what's important to them before they go back to maybe their dermatology appointment and make a decision about what treatment um, for their child. Um, we also have, we support children directly as well. We have school workshops um, and I think next year we're planning about, or this year now, sorry, we're planning about 70 school workshops um, across the UK. And that's where they're either online or we can also go into schools um, and deliver them in the classroom. And that's their primary school workshops. And, you know, they're all about a bit of education about eczema, but also education about, um, you know, what it would be to be a good friend to someone that, that had eczema. 
Um, we have clubs for kids as well. Um, we have the High Five Club for children that are aged three to ten. And then we have the XY Club, and that's for children or adolescents really age 11 to 17. Um, and they've got lots of different services within those clubs that help support the children themselves, help build their confidence and just do a little bit of self, you know, education about self-management and trying to get them bought into the importance of their treatments. Um, that's all kind of built built into the club as well as, you know, the fun stuff as well. Um, and we also have a youth panel, a fantastic group of young people who are aged 16 to 24, who've you know, obviously had eczema all of their life. And um, they're all in different types of treatments and very vocal and about their experiences of being a young person with eczema and, you know, what the, the experiences that have been good and also the experiences that have been bad. And, and they go out and talk to healthcare professionals and, and spread the word about what it's like to be a young, young person with eczema. We also um, offer peer support opportunities um, for families. So we have a online chat, so a, a closed Facebook group for parents as well. And that's really vibrant. We have about 2000 families that are part of that group. So there's lots of different ways that we support families and we're always looking for new things to do and new things to try. And, you know, it's really all about listening to our members and making sure that we hear the challenges that they have and trying to do something about it and to make their life better, really. Wow, Christine, there's so much going on there. Um, it sounds like you've got a kind of a wealth of support to offer in lots of different formats and it is responding to a real need as well, particularly demonstrated in your growth from being a small charity to now catering for the whole of the UK um, and just growing and growing your services, which is amazing. And I love this idea of building community with your support events where it gives um, families opportunities to meet people in similar circumstances and young people as well. I imagine it's invaluable to them to meet other children in the same circumstance. And um, I also really love the idea of your youth panel where you've got young people feeding back into the service development and speaking to health professionals and having their voice heard. And that's, you know, a really lovely concept, I think. Yeah, the youth panel are just becoming a bigger and bigger part of the, the charity. You know, for example, they um, come along to our board meetings and share what they've been do doing, you know, sharing, their, sharing their, their experiences and their ideas. And going forward, you know, we'll come on to talk about some of the new developments and the eczema care plan that we've been working really closely with Ella um, to develop. And then, um, you know, the youth panel were able to feed back on that and tell us what they think. And, you know, that it's so... It's, it's such a big thing for their day-to-day -day lives that their their experience and their thoughts and opinions are just so valuable um, that they're they're just a fantastic group. That's great. It's so nice to hear that you've got such engagement and involvement with them as well. So leading on nicely there, I wonder, Ella, if you could start off by telling us a little bit about the work you've been doing recently with Exma Outreach Support. Yeah, sure. So as Christine just mentioned, we've been working closely together for a while now to develop um, an eczema self-management care plan for families to use um, to manage their child's eczema and also um, one for sort of adolescents who are in that stage that Danny was talking about where they're learning how to manage their own eczema. Um, so care plans are basically sort of written guidance around how to manage a health condition. So they're used for things like allergies or um, asthma. You might have a care plan for those but they're also used for eczema. There'll be different treatments that you use, for example, if you're having a flare-up or just to um, 
kind of keep control of your eczema as well. So it can be very confusing, very complicated. People are often given lots of different treatments with complicated names and they don't remember where is this one meant to be used, how long for, how much do I use, you know, it can be really confusing. So the purpose of a care plan is to make this more simple and to give people a comprehensive and personalised plan that they can use that will help manage eczema. So we sort of came to doing this project because although there are eczema care plans that exist, there are quite a few. Families at EOS felt that really a lot of them were kind of aimed more at health professionals um, or very medical information and they wanted to have something that included those other psychosocial aspects like sleep um, there and more kind of things around mental well-being that they might want to approach um, a health professional about as well um, and also they wanted it to just be really easy and really accessible um, and I think we thought it would be useful to have something that families can take ownership of so something um, that they can take to a health professional fill out with them and feel more empowered um, and confident to manage the condition so that was kind of where this all started um, and we followed quite a long process of developing these care plans. So to start with, we looked what what's already out there and we had some really helpful um, advisory panel members send us care plans. And, you know, some of them are really long and they just have lots of information. Some will be really brief and there'll be sort of lists of treatment and then there's sort of everything in between. And we also wanted to incorporate some health psychology into these plans to try and um, help people to be able to actually adhere to these plans better and be able to manage it so for example adding um, information around how confident they were that they'd be able to undertake different treatments because if if you don't feel that you're able to do it then it's probably going to be difficult to use and that's something that would be helpful to discuss with a health professional and also thinking about things like um, what we've called implementation intentions so as well as knowing you have to use this treatment when when do you have to use it and how can you pair it with another habit so that it becomes easier for you to actually adhere to that so we looked at existing care plans we looked at sort of the common features what they included their design the format that kind of thing and then we rolled out a big survey to lots of families and health professionals and we asked them to rate the importance of lots of different aspects of care plans and rank the importance as well so that we could find out you know what's what are the most important features of the care plan how how should it look what should it include that kind of thing um, so after that, we ha also had some workshops to sort of discuss any discrepancies between um, different people's perceptions of what the care plan should look like. Um, and we, so we came up with this sort of final idea. Um, we then developed the care plan. So it was, it's um, had to be something that was quite short, something that could be either printed out because that's often how things are used within the NHS or downloaded and completed on someone's phone or tablet or computer. Um, and we kept, tried to keep it to sort of four pages which has information but also lots of sort of practical areas for writing things and information about treatment and kind of questions around well-being um, and then we got feedback from families so we did some interviews and we got them to look at it and we tried to understand does it make sense is it does it, you know is there anything that's confusing or that shouldn't be there do we need to change the wording are we missing anything so after that, we sort of ended up with what is now the final care plan. We've, we've actually got two. So we've got one for young people as well. Um, and yeah, so now we've got those and hopefully we'll be able to roll them out and help families feel more confident about managing their eczema.
That's so exciting to have something new that's based on research, that's had input from the community, um, and you've gone through such a process of consulting with different people involved. Danny, would you mind talking us through the the support that you've been working on and what it involves and, and how it came to be, really? Yeah, so the uh, the work and the research that I mentioned previously led to developing a website um, that has now been launched and is freely available. And uh, so the website itself, when you go on it, it tells you, do you want this information for myself or for my child? So at the same time as I was doing the research uh, with uh, alongside adolescents and young people, uh, my colleagues were also interviewing children and parents and trying to see what what were those needs there in terms of information that was out there. The team itself was quite big and it spanned quite a lot of uh, different universities and hospitals and it included dermatologists, GPs, dermatology nurses, health psychologists, researchers, parents and young people and around 650 parents and children and young people with eczema were then involved with throughout the whole development of it. And you can go through it if you want with eczemacareonline.org.uk, which I'm sure we'll put down in the notes. And it has information and videos about the different treatments. It has, you know, what can make eczema worse, living well with eczema. So, for example, you know, beating the itch about sleep, about stress. It's an evidence-based website that's, you know, been developed alongside people with eczema, but has also, you know, which also has then top tips from other people that what they found works for them. It's been found to be very useful and has been shown to have sustained benefit in managing eczema severity. So the, we've, we've tested that out and people using the website have found, you know, the answers to questions that have had whilst also learning that eczema, you know, doesn't need to control their lives, but they control their eczema. So it was nice to hear that as that's, that's what people were taking from it. Fantastic. It sounds like the, the future of support for eczema is, is certainly very bright. There's a lot of uh, new work being done here and um, that sounds like a fantastic resource for people to have access, Danny, and we will definitely leave the link in the show notes um, so that people can go and have a look and have a browse. So those are all the questions I have, apart from one very important question just to round us off. So at the Centre for Appearance Research, every Thursday morning after our meeting, we have a cake and coffee morning and we ask all of our guests, if you were to come to our cake and coffee morning, um, what would you bring? What sweet treat? It doesn't have to be sweet, actually. What food might you bring um, to our coffee morning? I'm going to come to uh, Christine first. Okay, I do love something sweet um, and I do love cake. <laughs> but um, it became a bit more complicated a few years ago because I was diagnosed with celiac disease, so I can't eat gluten, which is a real pain when um, you go somewhere and you just want a nice slice of cake. Um, so I'm always on the lookout for um, gluten-free cakes that taste really good. So my favourite one, just to be able to go into a shop and buy, and so this is the one that I bring along, would be Marks and Spencer's Coffee and Walnuts cake. It is delicious. And as my son said, it doesn't even taste gluten-free. Oh, <laughs> so- wow. <laughs> You would be very popular with your um, coffee and walnut cake for sure. Uh, Danny, what about you? What would you bring? Okay, well, so in one of my offices, I was actually known for uh, my chocolate and avocado cake because I had the same issue where I had to make sure that it was vegan and gluten free. So I had to find a recipe that works. And that one 
was the one to go for. Um, and actually, yeah, it didn't even last the hour. So I would probably go with <laughs> with one of my best hits, which would be the chocolate and avocado cake. <laughs> that sounds delicious. And I'm sure it would be gone in minutes as well. <laughs> Ella, last but certainly not least, what would you bring? Oh, it's a good question. Um, it's quite tough because there are lots of good cakes, aren't there? I think I would... So. I'm not sure how easy this would be to transport and cut up, but I really like <laughs> lemon meringue pie. Um, yeah, and I think that would be, although now I've said that, I'm probably going to actually have to bring this to coffee morning, aren't I? Um, but yeah, I would quite like to make a lemon meringue pie and bring it in. And I guess I could probably use gluten-free base so that Christine could join and, and try some of it. Sounds fantastic. I don't think we've <laughs> ever had a lemon meringue pie, so it would be a debut cake um yeah. so that would be exciting so yeah that's everything for today thank you all so much for your time and for sharing your really interesting and exciting work it's been lovely to speak to you all thank you thank Thanks you for having us. thank you it was great to hear from the different perspectives of people working with children and young people with eczema and hear about how research can inform support development too yeah, it was really interesting to speak to them all and especially to listen to the new support that's currently been developed and how impactful that will be for families with a child with eczema. Great, I think that's all we have time for today. As ever, thank you for listening to Appearance Matters, the podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please remember to share, subscribe, rate and review. It helps other people find the podcast and it gives us a little boost. And remember, you can keep up to date with our centre's work on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. All the links are in our bio. Until next time. Bye. bye.